You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded from the Evolve Law Client-Driven Solutions event, which is taking place at our Denver studios in Colorado. It's good to be home. So I have a panel of guests. Actually, this is the fullest the studio has ever been. I think even during construction, we never had this many people in here, but it's a packed house. And I want to start to my left. I have Miss Mary Jutton. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's been a long time since I've been called Miss. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It it was uh, done by way of respect, not by way of offense. (laughs) And then I have uh, next one. Joe, you're going to have to help me with your last name. Yeah, it's Burchard. A bird chart. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Now, Kate White, that's excellent. Hi, how you doing? Good, thank you. And then we've got some pipes over here. We have John Rome. He's going to do a little introduction. I'm going to feel like I'm getting blown off the microphone here, but go ahead, John. Testing one, two, three, four. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And we have uh, Katie. It's uh, DeBoard. Katie Hi DeBoard. There. Hi there. So we're going to go back around. I would like you guys to just tell us a little bit more about yourself. So where you work, what do you do? We'll come back to Mary. Thank you very much. Thanks for having all of us. So I have a software company that's called Tracklight, which is my day job. And then today is all about Evolve Law, which is something I co-founded with Jules Miller of Hire and Esquire. And so just a little bit about Tracklight. It's an automated way of assessing business risk, and it can be intellectual property, which is actually where we started, so I shouldn't forget to mention that. Um, But it's for small businesses, but we've morphed over time, and we have white label versions that lawyers use amongst other professionals. Excellent. Joe. Yeah, so I'm Joe Burchard. I'm the project manager and co-founder of LawBooth, the online SaaS marketplace for attorneys. So basically, we offer a lot of really cool technology that attorneys can use to optimize their workflow. And then we also have them on a marketplace, which kind of opens up their practice to uh, new clients from around the U.S. And Miss White. Thank you for the miss. I appreciate that over ma'am. Um, so Kate White, I um, am one of the founding members of what is Davis Wright Tremaine's DeNovo team. We're a dedicated innovation team inside of Davis Wright Tremaine, a 500 lawyer firm, AMLA 200 firm. Um, and we are focused on developing legal solutions for our clients. Excellent. John. I'm John Rome, CEO of Intensity Analytics Corporation. I'm a serial entrepreneur, lawyer by training, mathematician, and programmer by activity over the last number of decades. Um, Spend most of my time developing critical link, missing link, and uh, important technologies uh, currently focusing on helping to solve the world's cybersecurity crisis. And Katie. Hi, I'm Katie DeBoard. I am a partner and the chief innovation officer at Brian Cave, and I am in charge of our global innovation strategy of um, driving that strategy and finding new ways to deliver services to clients. Um, in that role, I have a team that reports up to me. That's essentially our Skunk Works and R&D team, and it's a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, Mary, you're responsible for bringing us together, even in our home studios. And so we're at an event called the Client Driven Solutions, of course, presented by Evolve Law here. So I'd like to get a 50,000 foot first about Evolve Law for some of our listeners that aren't as familiar. What's Evolve Law all about? And, uh, you know, just kind of the things that you guys are working on. I know you're kind of a traveling road show this summer. So let's <laughs> let's hear a little bit about that. Well, the road show is coming to an end. Um, okay. <laughs> we've done, uh, well, just to back up, Jules Miller and I got together and we were commiserating wallowing a little bit for about five minutes 
about how difficult it was to sell technology into the legal field. And we decided we would bring a little bit of the showing and telling uh, that we've seen. Both of us have um, been to a lot of events in Silicon Valley. So we did some events very informally. And actually, Davis Wright Tremaine was the first sponsor at our very first event. And we did them on both coasts. We did a bunch of different formats. We had two brainstorming sessions with in-house counsel about what was going to drive technology. And it was super exciting. And actually, I realized it when I was speaking earlier today, a year ago today, we stood in Los Angeles where we had people from LegalZoom, Clio, and a couple of in-house counsel speak. And people were asking us, where's the Evolve Law website? We were like, no, 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 this is just a sales and marketing channel for all of these people. This is just something we're doing. So we decided with the little tiny bit of money that we had left over from the event that we would start Evolve Law. And we would only go live with it if we had 15 members. Um, actually, I wanted only 10. Jules set the goal at 15. She's a little bit feistier than me. And we ended up with 27 members when we went with Davis Wright Tremaine as a founding law firm member. And now we have 84 members. Tonight was our 13th event. And we guarantee Lucky our- number 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so we guaranteed our members that within a year, we would do 12 events. So we've done 13. We have three more planned um, before we kind of take a breather for July and August. And then we have some more coming up in September. So we'll be pretty close to 20 events. But it's not just about the events. It's creating the content like we were talking about before. We recorded a couple of podcasts broke in the room here. And so it's about podcasting, content creation. And really the whole idea is we're a megaphone, we're a community for accelerating the pace of adoption of technology and innovation. It's not just technology. It's just about change, like I think Kate pointed out on the panel. Well, kudos to picking beautiful cities for your events. <laughs> <laughs> I got here to you're going to Stanford uh, with a uh, oh, actually one of your uh, uh, Jules is Jules. actually at Stanford right now, so she's going to be doing this tomorrow. She's speaking at Codex, correct? Yes, Codex does a future law, future of law. Sorry, Roland, um, <laughs> but they do an event every year. So Jules mm-hmm. is there, and uh, the next Tuesday we have a twelve. Darwin Talk event in Los Angeles, and then we. Take a little breath, and we go over to New York and do the tech-savvy general counsel, which we're going to replicate this fall in Seattle. And that's an exciting event because we're limiting the audience only to general counsel or legal ops folks. Mm-hmm. And then we head back to San Francisco on June 21st for social media and innovation, which we have several of our members who are excited about that because our members include people like Fox Wordy, who's sponsoring that event. And They're nice folks on Twitter, by the way. Monica Zent. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, yeah, so it's super exciting. It is a lot of travel. Jules is at a very busy time with Hire an Esquire, so I'm like the event lady. So I have my little traveling blue suitcase, and and I just go from city to city. But this was awesome, and we'd love to come back when the whole legal innovation group gets formed in Colorado, Denver, Boulder, whatever you're calling it. Okay. Well, before we get to the meat of the discussion or bring the panelists back in, I do have one quick question. It kept coming up. I went to the website. just want to learn a little bit more about it for our listeners. The Legal Tech Toolkit, area of your site. What's this all about? Okay. So early on, um, you know, Tracklight, we're in the, we're talking to business lawyers, employment lawyers, IP lawyers. I would go in and somebody would say to me, oh, this is really cool what you're doing. But what about docketing? 
And so I was like, oh, well, my good friend, then plain legal, now alt legal, Nahal, you could talk to him about that. And one day, this is serious, I was just on a plane and I was thinking, you know, it would just be good idea if we kind of had that all in one place. So I could stop having to refer everybody. So I came up with this catchy name, Legal Tech Toolkit, and we originally put it on Tracklight's site until we had the Evolve Law site. And so our members get listings in the Legal Tech Toolkit. And whenever we're at these events and somebody asks about, well, hey, what do you have for e-discovery or what do you have for this? I'll say, well, there's lots of great members and head on over to Legal Tech Toolkit. Okay. I'm going to save my last question, uh, or this next question for last, so we'll, we'll close it out with that. So, turning the microphones over to Joe, he was the moderator for a discussion that went on for a while. You guys did a great job, got some questions at the end, fantastic. We were able to record it, so we'll make it available on Legal Talk Network, but I think a very enlightening discussion. And so, Joe, uh, you opened up, you guys hit a lot of topics, some you agreed on and uh, some you didn't agree on, and we're going to get into those, but let's just open up, 50,000 foot, uh, what was it generally about? Yeah, it was just kind of about technology within the legal space in general and kind of the direction that it's headed and the right direction that it should be headed in. I think we we kind of touched on a lot of different aspects of like who's driving the innovation and uh, all the way to, you know, where the costs of not acknowledging that the legal tech space is changing. Like you said, there's some some pretty cool conversations that started. I definitely learned a lot being the moderator and uh there was a lot of conversations that, you know, kind of butted heads. And, and I always like to think that conflict is room for growth in a way. And uh, I think we kind of came to some creative solutions that wouldn't have been thought of if we had all agreed from the beginning. Let's, uh, let's cut across some of the topic matter here. So artificial intelligence, AI, robots, data, leveraging technology. Should law firms be involved in developing tech. I think that was the, uh, the the hope where debate that you guys were having. But uh, let's start with AI. I know that's making people nervous these days. It seems that these artificial intelligence or bots or robots, you know, they can do a lot these days. And I think it is scaring people in the, uh, in, you know, in the legal industry here, the worry that their job is going to be replaced. But you guys I think all agreed. And I think there was a pretty hopeful quote here. So lawyers worried about being replaced by AI should be. Now, that sounds terrible, but it's actually pretty enlightening and it's actually pretty encouraging. So let's talk about that. Why do you guys think that AI is not a threat to the legal profession's attorneys? Yeah, I think AI is kind of in its early, early development stages. I heard somebody from Watson describe it as dumb artificial intelligence. Um, It can do a lot of the analytical work, but it can't really do a lot of the emotional work. It doesn't have the human aspect that I think a lot of people think artificial intelligence has already. You know, I think um, people hear artificial intelligence and they automatically think of the Terminator versus where it really is right now, which is kind of just data-based analytics. I talked to somebody at Watson about a month ago about kind of where they are as far as taking over the lawyer's jobs. And he said that in 10 years, there's 0% chance. In 20 years, there's 50% chance that will take over 50% of their workload. So I don't think it's really a rational concern to have right now. If we were having this conversation 30 years from now, I think it would be a totally different one and uh, one that, that might be a little concerning, but you know, we can talk about that when, when it comes up. So I don't have to worry about Hal 9000 sitting next to me in a board meeting someplace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Hal 9000 won't be taking your job anytime soon. Okay, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Kate, what do you want to add to that? Why won't artificial intelligence put us out of work? 
Well, I think what we're finding right now in the legal profession, um, especially outside counsel, is you know the more that we can understand the business that we're serving and understand sort of the plight of in-house counsel and um, what business really needs and how we get that to them quickly and efficiently, um, the the more we're thriving. And so I think you know I don't know that robots can do that quite yet. I think we've got a ways to go. And then. You know, the way that we like to think of it is really, as, as Katie mentioned on the panel, is we can use that technology to enhance what we already do. So while that technology, to our benefit, will take over a lot of the monotonous manual work that we currently have to do that makes lawyers crazy, that makes our associates dissatisfied with their jobs, um, we can use that to our advantage and have it take over that work. And then we free up time to do more strategic work for our clients. John, you were pretty passionate about this, and I, I'm actually pulling up a quote. I think it might be the second time I'm quoting on this uh, on this recording here. But uh, lawyers think, and so artificial intelligence won't replace legal thinking. So, give us a little more on that. Why can't they do it? Well, I guess it's my habit to be controversial, but I hopefully in doing that, I'm also factual. I think it's part of the media's hysteria, and I'm going to document that. A big jumbo jet landed out at Denver's airport today. There's no news in that. About 385 people avert fiery death when jet lands normally. And the problem is that you're taking a standard concept and you're flipping it around to create a story where there isn't one. And here's the deal. The horse replaced manual labor when people only tilled their fields by hand. Then the horse came along with a plow. They hooked up this fancy plow and the horse could do more than man could. And nobody said, is the horse replacing a man? You know, feeding his family, having children, you know, keeping the lions at bay, whatever. No, but it only replaced one task, and the task was something that man wasn't uniquely required to do. And we see this in law firms today. How many telephone operators do we have? Where are the steno pools that used to be? Anything that's manual uh, in the Roomba is going to replace the cleaning folks that clean the floors at night because it's manual. But we're talking about the practice of law here, folks, and it's judgment. It's the intelligence, it's the judgment, it's the human factor that makes lawyers do what they do well. And so this is a confection of the press, and I think we should move on. John's a pretty smart guy, huh? I think so. I think so. And, and it's kind of scary, too, when you think about uh, planes landing themselves. I don't know. It's, just, it's one of those... Uh, those well, uh, actually, do you know that the pilots, they don't even touch the controls when they take off anymore. This is my husband informs this to me last night. I'm like, oh. And then when I came into Denver this morning, my plane did a aborted landing this morning. That's how I started my day. Yep. You go Jeez. down and then you come up and then the pilot comes on and says, <laughs> uh, we were too close to the plane in front of us. So I didn't like your story. It kind of freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, what do you have to say about that? I know everybody uh, pitched in there. So uh, <laughs> artificial intelligence not taking our jobs. What do you think? I see a lot of people weighing into this and the media weighing into this. And and the people that you don't hear from are the lawyers themselves. And you see the lawyers shaking their heads going, how are people saying this, right? Mm. Because there are commoditized functions and sort of the lower level rules-based functions and maybe even identifying analogies, as I talked about earlier, that I do think could augment a lawyer's practice. But lawyers, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trusted advisors to our clients. And as we're advising our clients on a, you know, potential, you know, matter that's going to litigation, we're also thinking about the relationship and the long-term business relationship with the with the potential adversary. And we're thinking about their holistic, you know, business model. 
and I, I do think that the lawyers are scratching their heads going, how many people actually understand what we do? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit more complex than just putting rules together. And, you know, I do think AI will have a role. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not a replacement. Mm-hmm. Well, you all have made me feel a lot better. So I don't think I'm worried about my job, at least until artificial intelligence starts making my sandwiches. So let's get on to something uh, that you guys uh, had some disagreement on. So obviously, we're kind of in this era where there's a lot of legal technology being built to help evolve the practice of law. I'm seeing a lot. We travel around. We go to to different events, and we're seeing some wonderful software platforms, some incredible ideas that are making everybody's lives easier. And also think, uh, you know, having a uh, – and as far as, like, the billable hour driving, driving the at least what the client sees, the price down. And so a lot of ways to be efficient. But, uh, you know, obviously developing that technology, you need partners to do it. You need law firms to provide that process and you need some smart software folks to, to come up with ideas and answers. But you guys are not on the same page as to whether or not a law firm should be involved in this process. So I want to start with that. Uh, that was kind of something I picked out in the panel. There was some disagreement. So I'm going to turn back to you, Joe. So that question came up. How did it start? Like, where was the entry point there? I think three of the four of you agreed that they should be involved, and one of the four didn't. So, yeah, exactly. And uh, full disclosure, I don't have a legal background, so I probably have a totally different perspective than most. But I think from coming from outside of the legal industry, that changes in technological improvement should be driven primarily from people that are outside of legal just because they aren't kind of constrained by the, the the similar mindsets that people that have been in the legal industry for so long have had. You know, we like, for instance, I'm a millennial, so I've been, I've had technology in my life forever. So I have some different ideas of how the legal industry should work. Now, that's not to say that my ideas of how the industry should work conform to regulations. So I think that law firms, regardless of of who's the main driver of the change, law firms have to be involved just because there are currently regulations that are preventing a lot of innovation that would otherwise probably be created. Does anybody want to say anything in uh, contrast to that? I don't know if it's in contrast, but um, I see it quite differently as we talked about on the panel for just a couple of reasons. And I always like to sort of uh, authenticate my reasons by citing both reality and and, uh, common practice. If a law firm has a really neat idea and they hire a programmer and the programmer gets really good at doing something and the seven-digit partner incomes soar and it's well-documented in the legal profession that they do, this guy gets a hearty thanks and a $10,000 bonus. It's not dumb. So he says, I can either get another $10,000 bonus next year, or I can leave for my own company and maybe I can get seven digits. So the biggest problem we have right now is there's such a staggering shortfall of talented, experienced people in the IT world, and particularly those that are skilled at working with lawyers, not an easy thing to do, that <laughs> what it does – well, and, and, and you know uh, – uh, there are relatively few lawyers in my experience that say, I want exactly what they have. 
It's usually what well, we wanted something a little different. So they, they have the ideas. And also, I'm not sure there's any way that they can really meaningfully protect their ideas. So if a firm sits around and says, you know, I think we should do the following A, B, C, D, and they lay it out, you know, they're not going to get a patent on it or, or even a process patent or something like that. It's just going to be a really good idea that's floating around out there. So given the shortage of labor and given the, the income disparity, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that it's not a stable long-term support plan. And, you know, those of us who are not using Microsoft Windows 1.0, we're all up at 10, um, you know, uh, technology evolves. It has to. And so the worst thing that happens is they build, you know, uh, law firm ABC version 1.0, and they're gone. And now the Windows operating systems or Apple or whatever moves on, and now it's incomplete. Who's in the driver's seat? So for the very same reason that law firms say to corporations, send your business to us. We're really good at that. We're stable. We'll be here. I think the same argument applies to major technologies. That's different from what we talked about in terms of special integration. Mm -hmm. We do things a certain way. Can you hand the data off to us our way? That's fine. That's customization. It's not creating product. Katie, is John right or is he wrong? Um, I would say that from my perspective, there's truth is in the middle for me. What we've found is that as we're advising our clients on legal operations and processes and process improvement, there's a lot of opportunity for technology and tech-enabled solutions. We just won the ACC Value Challenge Award for Red Robin for a tech solution that we implemented there. And the, the burger re- company? Yes, the burger oh, company. The the Chicken with the pineapple is the best. The But I digress. Anyway, um, so so you know the unique position that law firms have is that they have a their expertise, which is legal, and b their access to and insight into their clients and the legal operations and the unique needs and demands of their clients. And that is something that other outside software companies don't have. Mm-hmm. My team, as I described before, um, one component of my team is a group of developers that help when we've identified a process that could use a tech-enabled solution to augment the way in which the law department functions or the way in which the company functions from a legal perspective, my team helps develop that software. Where I think that John is totally right is that it is incumbent on law firms to ensure that the right partnerships are entered into and the correct measures are in place to ensure that clients have long-term solutions that aren't fragile. And I think that is a judgment call that law firms need to make based on what they've developed and where they stand with any particular platform and you know the length of that platform. But I do think that there's opportunity for law firms to partner without totally outsourcing mm-hmm. development. Go ahead, Kate. Thanks. I would add, you know, to John's point, I think that law firms have a challenge in front of them, which is finding, attracting, and retaining technologists. I think we do need technologists on staff, more of them, um, talented ones. And and the way we've been fortunate is we have a few people on staff who are truly translators. They can sit with us, with our lawyers in a room with our clients, listening to what the client is struggling with or what they need or an upcoming case and what it's going to involve. 
and they can translate those needs into a technology solution. Now, they are, of course, out there sourcing technology that's already out in the marketplace and how can we use it and how can we adapt it for ours and our clients' needs. But I think we are going to need people like that to serve as the bridge between what law firms do and the expertise that they bring to the table for their clients, what clients need, and then what legal solutions are available out there. I also think as we are in this early stage of developing technology and building what we call legal solutions as sort of distinct from just legal work product and advice, we do need to be testing and experimenting for ourselves because we need to be learning those lessons on the ground inside of our law firms. And that's not to say even if we test out building something ourselves, uh, that we're not going to go out there and partner with an actual tech company (laughs) to do that for us and scale it for us. But we're learning so much about what features we need something to have by at least building the, you know, very minimum viable product version of it. And then going out into the marketplace and saying, where is there a tech company that already has the talent that we can take it to this MVP to them and say, now make it better, scale it, and let's partner on, on developing this. Well, that's this. the point. And mm-hmm. that's well done. And that, mm-hmm. that, that's the differentiating point. I'm talking about people who want to, in essence, get into the business as opposed to share mm-hmm. their smarts, their mm-hmm. process. And then once they have that well understood and defined, then they have that outside support in the same way that a corporation would make the same thing. We're not going to have no lawyers because we have an outside firm. Well, we have a couple for liaison. They have to know what's going on. So I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I just think it gets back to the – and I wasn't sitting on the panel, but I had an opinion on this in the audience. So now I get to say it. Um, it gets... <laughs> well, first of all, is John right or is he wrong? Well, I, I think – I'm closer to John being right um, because – So where are we a, in the panel there? Is that uh, two, <laughs> two, two against John, one? See, there's the media. Yeah. 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 Come on, yeah. back off. I'm sorry, man. I'm crashing. I want to relive my plane thing. Um, it's a build versus buy, and I think mm-hmm. that if you look at it from a business perspective – One of the most valuable things I learned over the 30 years that I've been in business is that you do what you're good at. So if you have great technologists on staff, then yeah, sure, build it. But find somebody to partner with if you don't have them. Because I have dealt with, and I won't name the firms, where they're like, oh, this is really cool what Tracklight does. We'll just build this ourselves. And so I'm like, okay, fine. And like two years later, then they're knock, knock, knock. Hi, um, so we're back, and we'd like to now talk to you about using Tracklight instead. Because first of all, there's the level of technologists that you have, but Tracklight is not something that you would build yourself because you don't have the economies of scale. So it all gets back to the whole business. If you just look at the law firm as, okay, build versus buy, where do we have in terms of talent? But I do agree with John. It's so hard to find good tech talent and law firms aren't going to pay somebody enough unless you've got some new cool model. You're not going to pay staff. I was a director of finance at, at a law firm. I know the difference between how much the partners make and how much even the best paid of the staff make. So unless that model, that compensation changes, you're not going to have the best and brightest to build the app. So you should outsource it. But I think we can all agree that every legal tech company that's out there needs to have at least a lawyer on board giving them a perspective that they don't have. More than a lawyer on board, they need to actually go find lawyers to test 
their technology. Exactly. Definitely. Lawyers need to be part of the design. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You know, and it, I mean, Thompson Reuters is starting to do that and include law firms in yeah. the design phase. Of some TR Labs. There are people job. are recognizing that. Yeah, and that's what just essential. Denton's Next Law Labs, they're going out, they're sourcing some pain points, and they're figuring out, okay, you know, these are companies that we want to then make investments with. So we're working now, Evolve Law is working with Next Law Labs because everybody wants to be part of Next Law Labs Accelerator, but there aren't enough spots. So with Evolve Law, what we're trying to do is build a test bed of law firms. So DWT, anybody who's a member can come in and get discounts and then work because it's a two-way street. It's very helpful from the technology company's point of view to have that built-in customer experience. I just got the hook. So (laughs) we're getting close to the end of our program here today. So I want to ask one last question, and it's going to do a couple of things. One, it's going to be terrific for our listeners. And two, one of my favorite things is going to create some awkwardness on this program. It's going to put everybody on the spot. So here's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Because everybody here is pretty smart, and I'm going to tap into this. We're going to give a nice takeaway, uh, several nice takeaways for our listeners. So I'm going to ask you, what is the best way in 2016 for lawyers to leverage technology to improve their practice? Everybody gets to think about that for a split second. But at the end, Mary's going to judge and figure out which one's the best, and you get to win. What do you think? Okay. All right. We're going to start with Joe because I'm not sure he's sure yet. Or do you want to pass <laughs> to somebody else? No, I'm good. Okay. Put me, put me on the spot. Um, well, Law Booth, obviously. Oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I, think, um, I think lawyers really have to be – have to accept an open-minded attitude towards technology. There's a lot of lawyers out there that hark on issues that are definitely issues they should be focusing on, but they pay too much attention to them. So for instance, like even security, I know John probably knows a lot more about this than I do, but every legal tech company out there is doing their absolute best to provide the most secure platform And I think a lot of attorneys kind of lose sight of that. You know, we're working day in and day out to make the most secure platform that conforms to the regulations. And I think a lot of the lawyers, um, man, you put me on the spot, but (laughs) uh, I think uh, they kind of get so focused on aspects that they know that they can control that they forget the whole reason that they're looking towards technology in the first place. So is that forest and trees kind of argument? How do you mean? Well, I mean, so they need to be kind of focused on just the problem they have instead of getting uh, all wound up and all the different solutions, kind of focus on the problem first. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it should be more about optimizing their workflows and making their lives easier as opposed to trying to figure out problems within the legal tech companies that come to them. And I know that you guys coming from big law are going to have a totally different perspective on it. But um, that's my non-legal background. All right, Kate, you're in the hot seat. So a couple things. I think really thinking about as a lawyer, where am I recreating the wheel over and over again? Um, where am I wasting time? Where is something just very painful <laughs> that I feel like my time is not being spent efficiently? Um, and then identifying where that's happening in your practice and looking out to the marketplace to see if there are technology solutions that have been designed to help with that problem, which leads into the other thing, which is, I think, at large law firms, um, changing the mindset and you know thinking about our responsibility to research legal technology available and invest in the people, the dedicated people who are going to be out there testing that, going out, learning about it, and seeing how it can integrate into the practice within a large law firm. 
And then the most basic thing is just sitting down with in-house counsel and understanding where they're feeling pain and being open to hearing it and thinking about even if it's not directly about your service delivery or or the legal work that you're doing for them, where are they feeling pain and where are they having new expectations placed on them and how as outside counsel can we help them solve those problems by going out and learning about technology. So I'm hearing uh, pains, a repetitive process. I'm hearing uh, focus on your problems. John, what do you think? I like your last sentence, except knock the S off of it. Focus on your problem. As I mentioned during the talk today, up to now, all of the attention that's been spent on law and technology has been for process improvement, revenue enhancement, and cost reduction. That era is now at an end in terms of being the primary focus at the same way that we worked really hard to get word processing in and nobody talks about it anymore because it's been done. Now the problem is the technology has turned around and it's coming back. The technology that we developed in the law to be able to find salient information and bring it back to attention is now being used by the bad guys coming back into an undefended portal. Law firms are going to go under, so it's really hard for me to understand why the attention is being paid as much to process improvement and almost no attention to the looming problem of our time, which is the worldwide cybersecurity disaster. Read about the Panama Papers. Katie, you get the last word. Yeah, I mean, security is an issue, but I also think that we need to continue to evolve while being mindful and smart about security and understand what we're looking at. In terms of what I would say for 2016, how you can most effectively start incorporating tech differently in your practice, I would say go talk to your clients about how they're using technology for their own business, how they're using their own data. Have an evolving conversation about what their expectations are for law firms. You know, I use my own data this way to, you know, report to my C-suite or my shareholders in a predictive way. And why can't you do the same thing? Why can't you scale your data like I scale my data? And I think having some of those conversations with clients will inform lawyers in a different way about what the expectations are. Well, uh, what do you think there, Mary? Well, I've got to go with Katie because while everyone had good answers, my whole platform for sort of 2016, 2017 is that we've got to change things in the law that we stop looking internally and we focus on our clients. And Katie nailed the the client view of things. Um, and that was the theme of tonight. So I picked Katie. I don't know what she wins. I don't have anything. <laughs> There's no wine left. So. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Uh, I think this is a wonderful event. I certainly learned a lot. And uh, what I want to do now is just uh, leave a little contact information for our listeners in case they want to follow up, learn a little bit more about what's been presented today, uh, learn a little bit more about you. Mary, let's start with you and Evolve Law. So the website is evolvelawnow.com, and then I also have Tracklight, which is T-R-A-K-L-I-G-H-T. Perfect. Joe? Yeah, uh, it's lawbooth.com. You can email me at joe at lawbooth.com or tweet me at lawbooth. Miss White? denovo.dwt.com. John? The website is intensityanalytics.com, and the email is jrome at Intensity Analytics. And our winner, Kate. Katie. Our winner, Katie. Katie. <laughs> without the miss. That's right. Without <laughs> the miss. Uh, BrianCave.com and tweet at DeBoardKatie. At DeBoardKatie. Excellent. No, no. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Could throw it in there if you want. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti signing off from our home studios in Denver, Colorado. Until next time, thank you for listening. Great, guys. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.